Thank you so much for joining us today on episode number 110 of the Real Life Runners podcast. Do you consider yourself a perfectionist? Do you wait until things seem perfect, until you take that leap or do the next step or run that race? Can you perfectly prepare yourself for a race? Today we're going to talk about the need for perfection and how that can hold us back. This is the Real Life Runners podcast and we're your hosts, Kevin and Angie Brown. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now let's get running. So I always considered myself a perfectionist growing up. And I I always consider you perfect. Oh, you are just getting, jumping right in with the compliments. (laughs) On it! (laughs) Before minute one. (laughs) So, um, you know, I, I would call myself now a recovering perfectionist because the more I learn about myself and the world and life and personal development and all the things that I love to read about and learn about now, I realize how much perfectionism is a crutch and how much people can use perfectionism as an excuse for not doing things. And that is definitely, I've definitely been guilty of that in the past. Okay. So how can trying to be perfect at everything actually hold you back? Because it seems like if you're actually just really good at all sorts of things, you're just remarkably successful. So you're going to have to expand a little bit off of this guy. Yeah, it doesn't really work that way. Because like with me, I I was very successful in a lot of things growing up in sports and academics. I was, you know, at the top. But the issue with that is that that did come relatively easy to me. And so when I encountered something that I wasn't very good at right at the beginning, I just wouldn't continue on with it. So it really held me back from doing those other things because I was like, oh, like for example, when I was in middle school, I tried out for the soccer team. And soccer was not my sport. Like I was a hand-eye coordination person. I played volleyball, basketball, softball. Feet and I, you know, didn't (laughs) really mix. (laughs) But I mean, I I probably could have done better. It just wasn't my natural thing. Like, and so when I went out and tried out for the team, I'm like, I'm not very good at this. And so I quit, like, right away. You probably could have gotten better pretty quickly, but it didn't come immediately to you. Oh, yeah, because I'm built much more like a soccer player (laughs) than I am a basketball player, you know, at 5'3". You're just crashing the boards in there at (laughs) 5'3". Yeah, and volleyball. I mean, I was a defensive specialist in volleyball, but I wasn't up there, you know, at the net blocking and spiking and all that stuff. Um, But... You know, if if I would have stuck with it, I probably could have picked it up and probably been very good at it. Um, but I was under the the mindset and the impression that if I wasn't good at something, then why even try? Why even go down that road? So that's how my perfectionism, like my need to be the top, my need to be perfect at something, held me back because I just wouldn't do those things if I wasn't good at them right away. That's interesting. See, I was never like the best at things. I was good. Like I was smart in school, but I wasn't the best kid in my class. I was smart in high school, but I was certainly not the valedictorian. Mm -hmm. Like I was good on my cross country team, but the team was ridiculously good. So I wasn't keeping up with the 410 miler. I mean, even by my senior year, I was captain and there were underclassmen who were beating me. Mm -hmm. I mean, he ended up heading off to Stanford on a scholarship, but there was always really high talent around me. So I've never really been the top guy Mm -hmm. in in whatever I was going at. I was good, but never like the top. Yeah. But now it's a little bit different because now that you're running some of these races and winning these races, do you feel a little differently? Like has your perspective changed a bit? Well, yeah, for a little while I was like, I was second or third in races and I can handle being like second or third in races. It's kind of annoying. It's cooler to win things. Um, but I got second or third. It's like, all right, that's, that's kind of my spot. I've been second and third. I've done that for years. And then, then I won a race and then I won another race. And suddenly people are looking at me like I, I should win Mm -hmm. even on like small things like our school 5k, Mm -hmm. like the kids at the school are like, Ms. Brown, are you going to win it? I'm like, I don't, maybe. Yeah, but you are pretty much expected to win at this point. Like, I'm you've completely only lost expected like, to win. What, twice ever? I've lost twice. Once to a high school kid who yeah. was like one of the top in the state and was like two weeks removed from the state cross country meet. Yeah. Like he was in really good shape. <laughs> 
but in general, people are just like, oh, no, I just I just assumed you were going to win it. And it's like, I that's not how it works. Like, I don't know who's going to show up, and I'm not training for a 5K. Mm-hmm. But that kind of goes over the head of a lot of people. There's, yeah, people don't understand that. Right. I'm people like, <laughs> look at you, and they're like, oh, Mr. Brown's a really fast runner. Like, he's going to win. Like, yeah, yeah, but if I'm training for a marathon, and it's a 5K, that's totally different. And mm-hmm. But there's a lot of expectations. So this suddenly puts this pressure on me to be the best that I've never really had before, yeah. which is um, uncomfortable. Yeah, so it, it's kind of funny because, again, we find ourselves here going the opposite direction. So I would say that I used to be a perfectionist and am now becoming much more comfortable not being perfect. <laughs> like Again, like I said, a recovering perfectionist um, because it's still hard for me not to be good at something. Like when I do decide to invest my time and effort into it. I I do want to be good, but now I am much more able to work for that, you know, to try to learn the skills that I need in order to become good at something that is important to me. Um, whereas, you know, before it was like, if I wasn't good right away, I would just drop out of it. I would just quit. I would just get, you know, move on to the next thing that I could find that I could be good at right away. Yeah. Because that was easier. It's easier. It's easier than struggling through and trying to get to yourself to the point where you're really good at something. Yeah. But now I feel like I'm much more willing to like do it messy and try to figure it out. Like I still have those little voices though that are like, you know, the, the self-doubt voices that come in and like, this isn't, this isn't right. You're not doing this perfect. Like, and I have to be like, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we're going to do it anyway. Like this is what we're doing today. Like, I don't care how it turns out. I'm going to do it anyway. So like I have to keep reminding myself over and over. So it's kind of interesting now that you're, you were that way more so. And now you're winning things and kind of have more, like higher expectations on yourself, like put on you from other people. And so now you're feeling that more yourself too. Right. It's a lot put on me from other people. Like I don't care. I really don't on like a deeper level care whether I win the school 5k or not. Mm -hmm. It's like the school Christmas 5k. Santa shows up at the end. It's just good times for everybody. Mm -hmm. There's pancakes, but, (laughs) but there's like, I've got every kid in every class the day before the race asking me if I'm going to win. This round, I'm going to be there tomorrow. Are you going to win the thing? I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to win it. And, mm-hmm. you know, the half marathon I ran in Key West last year, we went down with a group of people. They were all asking me if I was going to win the next day. Like, I don't know. I don't know who else is there. Like, I'm I'm going to run as fast as I can run. But it's not just like, are you going to win it? Like, I hope you win it tomorrow. I'm expecting you to win it tomorrow. And, yeah. and I'm doing my best to go into the race without the expectation that I'm going to win it. Okay, but- I'm trying to go in with the expectation of I'm going to run as fast as I can. Right. But do you feel like there's more pressure like do you do you have more of a need to feel perfectly prepared or do more or you know feel like you're you're ready I feel compelled to not even run in races if I don't think I have a good shot at winning so there you go yeah so you're you would rather not win the race if you or sorry not enter the race yeah not enter the race if you feel like you don't have a chance to win like right. You're starting to feel that. Right, pressure. I'm starting to feel that kind of pressure, yeah. which which is then then that drives me nuts. I'm like, where the heck is that coming from? And yeah. and it's because it's mostly external, but some of this I have clearly internalized. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't want to show up and and not run well. And it's like, well, what's what's the big deal? Like, just go yeah. out there and, and run. I was just listening to a podcast the other day. This guy who races all the time, and he's a long distance guy, but he runs his local like Fourth of July race. He's like. I don't win the race. What is somebody on social media going to criticize me for my performance on the 4th of July, like 5k? Like it, it doesn't matter yeah. because it's a race that he does for fun because it's the local community race mm-hmm. and it's a fantastic outlook on it because that's not the race that he's doing. He does that purely for fun. It's interesting though, like how external expectations or what we perceive, um, you know, external expectations to be, can affect how we do feel about ourselves because I sometimes question especially now with all that I've that I'm learning um, on a daily basis where my need for perfection came from eventually you know back when I was younger because I'm like who put it on me like did somebody put it on me did I put it on myself like where did this come from and you know I'm, I'm not quite sure exactly where it originated but then it 
just was there. Then I just, <laughs> just suddenly it existed. Then it existed. I don't know how it originally got there necessarily, but I because I don't feel like it came from like my mom or directly. You know, I mean indirectly maybe because of you know my parents' divorce and there's all these things that we can go into about being the oldest child and you know needing to be perfect. And you got a lot of things that set up of it's probably that. Yeah, but you know, like maybe not. Who knows though? You know, but. Ultimately, it then, it then was there, and then it became something that, oh, Angie's always the perfect one, or Angie's always this, or, and then I just felt that weight on me, like that's what people expected of me, so then that's what I had to show up. That's how I had to show up. Right, because it wasn't Angie is this. It, it wasn't equality. Yeah. It, it was a defining thing. Angie right. is the smart one. Angie is the athletic one. And if I wasn't perfect or I did fail at something, quote unquote fail, um, you know, if I d- wasn't perfect at something, then like people would like make fun of me almost like, oh, Angie didn't get this one that right, you know, or whatever it was like, oh, you, you weren't perfect. You didn't get that one right. It might be your dad because <laughs> every time you do the criticism <laughs> voice, it's also the impression that you do when you do your dad. So I'm just thinking we may have found the underlying well, reasoning. And that's okay because I know my dad definitely does not listen to this podcast. That's why I said it. <laughs> so anyway. Um, but anyway, not to like go deep into the world of Angie psychology, but I think that this perfectionism is definitely something that pervades a lot of people's psyche. Like they, It's something that just gets in somehow and we don't necessarily know how it got there, but all of a sudden it's there. Maybe it's something that we're trying to – prove to our family or friends we're trying to prove somebody wrong or we're trying to prove something to ourselves maybe somebody has told you the opposite maybe someone's told you all your life that you're not good enough so then you're out to prove them wrong and so then you want to be perfect in order to prove people wrong or you know to live up to certain other people's expectations like there's so many things that can trigger this need for perfectionism I think right but ultimately you suddenly you end up with this sort of personality trait of perfectionism Mm -hmm. of striving to be absolutely perfect at whatever it is that you do and then that's got its own issues which is what we're going to cover here all right so so let's get into this major issue look Learning is great. Mm -hmm. Going out and taking in as much knowledge as you can is awesome. You should be going out and trying to learn things constantly because learning is a good thing. Learning is fantastic. And I am a lifelong learner. Like I love learning new things. I love reading, listening, learning things on all levels. Like if I'm not learning, I feel so stagnant and just kind of like, what the heck am I doing? Like learning is so good. And you know, being a student, being a student of life is excellent. But there's also, you know, preparation is definitely needed. Like when you study how to do something, you create that level of basic understanding. And then that fundamental knowledge helps you to feel more safe. It gives you that feeling of confidence. And I mean, even if you're not fully confident, at least you feel competent in something. You know, you feel like you can at least have an educated discussion about it. You can, you, you know, have that basic level so that you can talk to other people about it or do, you know, things at a certain level. Right. I mean, if you've never played football before, you should kind of get a basic idea of the rule book before you stand in the middle of a field, you're going to get hurt. You know, if you're, if you're going to go scuba diving, you kind of need to know how the breathing apparatus works so that you don't choke underwater when you're like 50 feet down. You need some basic rules behind this. But the issue is, is that learning is not actually doing. Okay, reading the manual for something does not actually fully prepare you for the experience. If you've ever tried to teach a kid how to ride a bike, you've realized that you can tell them how to ride it, but until they actually get that feeling of being on a bike in that like sort of semi-balanced slash perpetually falling feeling is actually riding a bike... You can tell people how to do it. No, you know, you sit here and you pedal and your arms go here, but until you're actually on a bike, you don't know how to ride a bike. Right. And that's, you know, that's like the old story that if you give someone a book on how to ride a bike, you can read the book and you can know fundamentally how to do it. But until you actually get on that bike, you don't actually know how to ride a bike. Right. And on the other side, if you just keep preparing and preparing and preparing, this extensive, long preparation makes the eventual experience feel bigger, feel more important. You you put this like destination goal thing up on a massive pedestal because mm-hmm. that's how long it took you to prepare for it. Right. So that makes your chance of actually 
reaching the goal a little trickier because now it's this huge, almost insurmountable challenge that you've put in front of you because it took months of preparation in order to get there. Mm -hmm. So the longer that you're just preparing in your head, you're like, wow, look at all this preparation. That's how hard this thing is that I'm trying to reach. So when it comes time to actually perform, you might have built this up so much in your head that you can't perform at your optimum level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's how training relates to learning, right? Like if you're trying to learn a new skill or, um, you know, if say you're starting a new class or you're going for a new degree or something like that, like you can constantly be learning things. You can constantly be reading books and taking classes. And, and there are people out there that are like the perpetual students, you know, they will go and they'll graduate from high school and they'll get their bachelor's degree and then they'll go get a master's and then they'll go get a doctorate. And they've never worked a day in their life because <laughs> they've just been a student the whole time. And they've got so much book knowledge and they are so smart and so able to talk about it but like if you don't have real life experience are you really the expert in it like and I think that that's very apparent in my field as a physical therapist too like there are definitely people in the field that just do research and there are they're super knowledgeable about what the research says but it, if you don't spend time in a clinic dealing with real patients... Never put their hand on a person before. Yeah, you know, like how <laughs> applicable is that to an actual patient population? Like, yeah, that's the, that research is significant, but can it actually benefit someone? And there are people that do both. And th those are the people that I think are, are the best qualified. Those are the, who I would consider the experts, the ones that have the knowledge and also put it into practice, that are research clinicians. That I mean, that's the best of both worlds. Nice. And I think that that's kind of what you're talking about with the training too, about, you know, how you relate just being a student and constantly learning, learning, learning. Well, you can constantly be training, 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 but if you never sign up for a race or you build up and you train for months and months and months for a race, like how do you know if you're actually prepared and ready? Or maybe if you, you get there, you're like, well, maybe I just need to do a little bit more, prepare a little bit more because you're constantly learning or you're constantly training, but you're not actually testing yourself. Right. It's the race on the schedule that you didn't actually put money down on. Like, oh yeah, I'm totally going to do that race. And then as it gets closer, you're like, nope, I'm not ready for it. Maybe I'll do the one two months after that. And then that one gets close and you're like, oh, you know, they, they upped the price on it because I got so close. Maybe I should just do this one in a couple of more months. And now all you're doing is training <laughs> and the idea of running a race gets scarier and scarier. So this I've whole, totally like, done that before. I'm, oh, I'm, I can't sign up now. I missed the early bird discount. You missed the early bird discount. <laughs> um, but the, uh, the over-preparation is, is kind of where this uh, concept came from, is today at school we gave this, uh, this big test and... Um, it's called the PSAT. It's called the PSAT. <laughs> um, and I've got students that have been working with like a, a PSAT, like a test training coach since last February. Yeah. And that is months and months of preparation. And suddenly they have to show all of their preparation came to fruition in the course of three hours. Yeah. And I saw some of them afterwards. They were probably, well, beforehand, they were probably scared, right? Completely. And yeah. so I was talking to some of them like, all right, in any of these classes, besides like how to do math and how to do the verbal questions and how to read the passage, did they ever tell you how to actually like calm yourself and be confident when you go into the test? And you're like, no, they never covered that. Oh, jeez. <laughs> like, all right, let me talk to you for a second. And the, the one I love kid, that you even like, you know, thought about that. Well, this one kid, she's super smart and she's also been to multiple state cross country meets. Mm. So I'm like, look, here's the thing. The same way that you put in months of training and you've run 5K after 5K after 5K, when you show up at the state meet, it shouldn't be this new scary thing because it's still you running 3.1 miles. Yep, it's a different group of people. Sure, it's the championship race. Same thing happens when you get to the SAT. Look, you've prepared for months, you've taken several practice tests, but it's just something that you're going to go do. It's, it's a normal thing for you. Don't build it up in your head as like, nope, this is the absolute culmination of everything. Everything depends on what happens right here because then it's just too much. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to crack. Like, go into it knowing, oh yeah, I'm prepared for this because I've done this preparation. But also at the same time, go into it without this mindset of this is a super big deal. Like, you have to go into it just simply confident and not 
almost panicked. Like, wow, it all depends on what happens right now. Yeah, I think that a lot of people can build things up in their mind, especially if they're very, very well prepared for something. All of a sudden, like you said, it becomes this huge thing that just becomes overwhelming. So that kind of takes us from, you know, learning about things is great, gaining that knowledge, doing the training, all of that is great. But learning is not doing, right? So that's what we just covered. And you can train, you can learn, but until you actually test yourself, until you actually go out and race, you don't really know how you are prepared. Like how good is your preparation? You have no idea. So that's where we come to point number three, which is action and experimenting creates clear lessons. Like you can't actually learn from everything you've done until you test it. And then once you do it, once you run that race, once you take that test, once you, you know, make that presentation, whatever it might be, then you think about it afterwards and you're like, okay, how, how did I do? Like what was good? What wasn't good? Like what can I learn from this experience in order for me to get better and improve? Right. And then, then you can actually sit back and go to all of this knowledge that you've built up. And you've, you've got so much book knowledge, so much practice, so many miles that you've put on your legs, whatever the setup is, you know so much. Now you've experienced it. You've actually gotten your hands dirty in, in whatever it is that you're doing. Your understanding of the concept is so much deeper yeah. because you, you were in it. Just by doing it. Right. You, mm-hmm. you, you lived it. And so then you're going to look back at it and be like, okay, so this is what was supposed to happen because the book told me X, Y, and Z. <laughs> this is what actually happened. How can I take the book knowledge and apply it to this and then move forward better than I am right now? What lessons can I actually take out of this? You you actually know what your strengths and weaknesses are. Not like, oh, well, I've done so many mile repeats at this pace and my VO2 max is this, so I should be able to hold this pace. Yeah, but then you got in a race. What actually happened? Yeah. What happened when somebody fired a starting gun? Mm-hmm. Oh, I went too fast and then my quads were killing me after three minutes. Okay, well, that's something to work on. Mm-hmm. You know, you figure out your strengths and your weaknesses, whether they're physical or mental strengths and weaknesses. You need to actually be in it to see what those are. Yeah, because you always realize that no matter how well you prepare for something, there's probably going to be something that's missing. There's going to be some piece of knowledge that you don't know. I mean, how many books can you read on running? I mean, you've read a lot and, you know, the real life runner probably doesn't read as much as we do uh, about running. So their experience, your experience as a real life runner is going to be more experience based. You know, it's going to be more what what happens on a daily basis when you go out and run these runs at 5.30 in the morning in the dark on, you know, six hours of sleep and the kids and this and that? <laughs> you know, there's all these different factors. Like, what does that actually translate to and how does that actually prepare you when it does come to that race? And, okay, let's look back and see what could I have done better here? Like, you know, could I have eaten better? Could I have gotten more sleep? Could I have hired a babysitter for me to take a nap or something. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. there's, there's different things that you can do, but once you've had the experience, then you can look back and figure out what's missing. You can find those holes in your training or in your learning or in your preparation in in order for you to get better for next time. And then there's the other thing Um, which is the unexpected situations, which you can't prepare for. Like, I'll never forget, you know, when I was in college, when I took organic chemistry, I had the professor, he was the professor that would always put the exception on the test. You would learn (laughs) all of the fundamentals of organic chemistry. And organic chemistry is not an easy subject. Like, that is that was the class, you know, as as a pre-med student. Like, that was the class that everybody was like, oh, this is going to weed everybody out, you know. He told us on day one it was going to be easy. No, he didn't. Yeah, he said, this is not that hard of a class, and you don't have to memorize anything. You took a different organic chem than I did, though. Are you sure? I swear we were in the same room. No, because I took a pre-med chem. I think that they were different, weren't they? Didn't you have, like, engineering, and I had pre-med ones? I'm almost confident we were in the exact same room. I don't think so. Uh Uh-huh. I was a cute boy in the back. I was blonde at the time. (laughs) I didn't meet you until junior (laughs) year. So, anyway. I was asleep. So, back to organic chem. So... Our professor, my professor, apparently Kevin's too, um, he was just one of those guys that like you you felt like, I mean, I felt like I was ready going into this these tests because I actually studied and I was prepared and then I would go in and get the test in front of me and I'm like, 
looking at this like it was written in a different language because it just was not what I had prepared for. And he always put the darn exception on the rule. And and I would, because, you know, there's obviously all these rules in, in chemistry and science and there's always exceptions. And so until you get to the test, until you get to the race, like you're not going to always see those unexpected unexpected situations or exceptions to the rule. Yeah. I mean, you brought up a really good one that shows up a lot with races, especially with longer races, which is eating. Like it's hard to really prepare for properly fueling for a half marathon or a marathon in training Yeah, because you're usually not running that far that fast and taking in that fuel because that's what happens in the race and the race is exhausting. So you can't go out and do that every other weekend and Mm -hmm. be like, Oh yeah, I'm just going to run a marathon to prepare for my marathon. You'll never make it to the end. Mm -hmm. So the first time that you're at like full blown marathon pace for 26 miles is very often the race itself. Mm -hmm. So if all you've ever done are 20 mile training runs, what do you do for fuel during the last six? Usually the time to figure out what to do for fuel during the last six is your first marathon. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> so that's when you start figuring out and you're like, well, I'll just do the same thing that I've been doing for the first 20 miles and it'll be fine. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe it is. And maybe it's not. Right. And that's yeah. kind of what it comes down to is yeah. Or once you hit 20 miles and your body is really starting to starve for energy, does it need even more? Yeah. Did you actually need to take in more fuel during the first few miles? That's what you do the race for. That's what you're experimenting with mm-hmm. is, okay, well, it turns out that in those last few miles, I was dying for fuel. Now you may be in your next round of training. See if you can handle taking in way more fuel than you're used to earlier in your run. Mm -hmm. Try and steal up your stomach towards that of like, okay, well, normally I take in like, you know, a gel every like five miles or whatever. Can your stomach actually handle every three? Because then you might be able to get to 26 feeling stronger. Yeah, but you wouldn't know that until you actually did it. Right. Yeah. And I mean, that was, that brings me back to one of my half marathon stories where I prepared for my half marathon with raisins because we, you know. Oh, this is a good one. Yeah. We cleaned up, cleaned up our eating and we were, you know, I was trying to avoid processed goos and processed fuel and all that stuff. So my whole training cycle, I had been fueling with raisins during my long run and raisins, they worked great during my long runs. And then all of a sudden I'm in the middle of the half marathon and I hit mile five and that's when I was planning on, you know, having my raisins to fuel and I take my raisins out and I put them in my mouth and I take, you know, I chew them a couple times and I'm like, this is the worst thing ever. (laughs) Why am I chewing? Why am I chewing right now? I can't waste effort and energy chewing and I was like in the middle of the woods and it was like this because that marathon that I did went through that park you know and it was very wooded and it was very humid there was like no air no breeze and I'm like I need to spit these out these are the worst things ever and I didn't have like I had some water with me I think but I mean that's proof right there that I prepared for that. Like that's, they worked for me in training and all of a sudden I got to a race and I was like, and I did not eat any more raisins because I was playing on, you know, five and 10 and like, you know, having them throughout the race periodically. And that was it. Like I, I actually did swallow them. I didn't spit them out. But, um, after that, that was it. I think I did grab a goo um, because they were handing out goos at the race. At that point, you're like, I can't take in raisins. So now (laughs) here's your new experiment. Have some goo. Have some goo. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, but that, that right there is just proof in the pudding that, or in in the goo. (laughs) In the goo or in the raisins. (laughs) In the raisins. That sometimes even if you do prepare and even if you learn the book knowledge, like in organic chemistry, sometimes the exception is on the test or it just doesn't go as planned. You totally should have just spit the raisins out. That loop through the woods is creepy. Yeah. It's, it's dark and there's just like sketchy lighting. It's all shadows of coming through the trees. It always reminds It's like a haunted woods as yeah. far as I'm concerned. I mean, by the time I got there, it was light out. You know, by the time you got there, it was probably still dark. It was still super dark. And the only <laughs> light is like a truck at the entrance blasting its like bright lights into the park. So yeah. it's super creepy. I think that's when like the sun was like starting to rise. So it was light enough that I could see, but it wasn't. You know, it wasn't totally dark, thank goodness. Gotcha. So once you have these experiences, like this is the cool thing too, right? You have all the book knowledge, you have the learning, you have the training, whatever it might be. And then you start to gain experience. You start to do the races. You start to to run the races. You start to take the tests. You start to 
put your knowledge into action. You start doing things. And then that experience leads to a greater understanding like we talked about and then that can lead to that sense of intuition that cannot come from any lesson in a book. It's back to that old saying that there is knowledge and then there's wisdom. Yes. Yes, what knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a vegetable and wisdom is knowing not it's no a, it's a fruit knowledge is knowing <laughs> that a tomato is a fruit and wisdom is knowing not to put it into a fruit salad exactly there you go yeah but there's a big difference between knowledge and wisdom and you can only gain wisdom and intuition through experience and through life like having life experiences and being able to think about them and analyze them and try to extract those deeper meanings from them yeah i found that uh learning how to race is not something that you can do really well by by reading about it. Mm-hmm. Like if you want to race well, you have to actually race. Yeah. Like there's some moves that I've done in different races that I'm like, okay, well, never do that again. <laughs> and then there was other moves where I'm like, there was uh, in college, uh, I ran intramural cross country was senior year, mm-hmm. and there were three races. And the first race, I knew the... Your three training runs for the Chicago Marathon. Three training runs for the (laughs) Chicago Marathon. That was the month leading up to it. I ran three times. Um, (laughs) Also, you know, a good lesson. Also a good lesson. In marathon preparation. Sleep and actually don't stop your training a month before the marathon. (laughs) These are two things that should happen. Run more than nine miles total in the month before the marathon. I think there was a warm-up on a couple of those races. Run more than ten. Perfect. So... (laughs) I knew one of the other good guys in the race and it was basically, it was going to be one of the two of us who was going to win this race in the intramural, in the intramural cross country. country. And, uh, so they fired the gun in the first race. I'm running along and it's just the two of us. We've got this big giant gap on like the rest of the pack and we're cruising along and the course goes along and on like 200 meters from the finish line, it makes a U-turn and then shoots down a straightaway to the finish line. And I'm just rolling with him and with 200 meters to go, he hit another gear and I'm like, okay, we're going now. And I, my kick just wasn't enough to hold up with him. So a week later we have our next race. I'm like, okay, well I can't do that again. That's not going to work. This dude will just flat out out kick me. Mm. So with a half mile to go, well, first off I made him lead the entire race. I sat a step behind him for the entire race. So the entire time, he can't even just run his race. He's looking over his shoulder for two and a half miles. Mm-hmm. Is he still there? Is he still there? Is he? Yes, still here. How you doing? <laughs> right behind you. Hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm sorry. Did I clip your heel? Sorry, my bad. Accident. Um, <laughs> and with like two and a half miles to go, I take the lead. And I barely take the lead, which is something I never tell our kids to do. I barely take the lead. I just slide in front of him. Yeah, you always tell them once you make a move, you make a move. move. So I took the lead and uh, and you can almost get this sense of relief from him. Like, okay, good. He's going to go and he's going to go with a half mile to go. I'm just going to ride him and I'm going to kick him at the end. Mm -hmm. And uh, I took the lead and then immediately slowed down. Like we were cruising along at like five thirty six minute pace and suddenly I slowed it down to like eight, nine minute pace. What? Yeah. And it was basically like, um, this is the pace I'm going to set. Do you want to go or, or not? And I slowed it down and he wouldn't pass me. And so I just kept slowing it down and it got to the point that we're virtually walking <laughs> in the meet. And, uh, he now can either start walking or trip over me or start going around me. So he takes the lead again. And as soon as he took the lead, <laughs> I just went, boom. I just surged as hard as I could for 30 seconds. And he was done. Never saw him. Oh, my gosh. Because he was like, what, what is he doing? I don't know what's going on. And he had no idea what was happening. It's the unexpected situation. You never yeah. expect the guy to take what the lead and start doing? walking on you. <laughs> so he took the lead again. I let him have the lead for like three steps and blew past him. And I was not waiting for a kick. Yeah. Like there was no way this was coming down to a kick. The race was being ended with a half mile to go. Mm-hmm. And it's a strategy that I, I came up with on the fly. Right. Like as I'm running along trailing this guy, I'm like, how am I going to take the lead? Like what's my, what's my end game here? And that was my plan and yeah. it worked. Yeah. So. Yeah. And you couldn't have gotten that from anything else other than just racing. Right. And, the- and, and understanding yourself too. And I think that's part of what the action does is it when you take these actions and you do these things and experiment with different things that you learn that starts to create this mental clarity and this it starts to 
give you more focus and give you more options to play with, right? Because even though you had never done that in a race before, you're like, all right, well, let's see. You know, like you went into that with an experiment saying, okay, what I did last week didn't work. Let's try something completely different and let's see how that goes. Right. So this is why you need that preparation. Like reading and hearing different lessons is super useful because you have some of that background knowledge. You can try and simulate it. Like we try and simulate races and practice all the time. I do this myself trying to like create a workout that looks like the race or we'll do it for our kids. Create a workout that looks like what's going to happen in the race. It's just a simulation. Mm -hmm. It's good, but it's not the actual race. The tests, the actual race are real. That's when you learn something. It's an actual check of how prepared you actually are. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a chance to experiment with the skills that you've gained from previous experiments. Right. It's that trial by fire. Yeah. Right? You, you gotta, you gotta get into the hot seat. You gotta get into the ring before you actually know if what you're doing is working or not. Right. And if you go into it with this whole like experimental mindset, then you're not worried if it doesn't go out well. Because all you're going to do is gain something for the next time. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, oh, well, I gave, I gave that a shot. You know, I tried to roll with this kid and kick at the end and that didn't work. So let's try something totally different. And it, it, it worked much better. Yeah. And I think that leads us nicely into the whole idea of needing to run perfect. Like, is there such thing as running perfect? And I mean, you guys can probably guess now that our answer is no, like you cannot run perfectly ever like because it's all an experiment and even if you run the quote-unquote perfect race like say you hit that PR you smash that PR you know or break two hours in the marathon yeah you break four (laughs) hours in the marathon you know I mean there, there are times that you crush that goal that you've set for yourself and you still look back and you're like well how could I have done that better? Like, where could I have improved that? Like, you know what I'm talking about because you've done it too. Like, maybe I could have gone a little bit faster. Like, I've done that all the time. Like, you know, like when I end the 5K or the half marathon, I'm like, man, that's that's awesome. I did it, you know? And then I'm like, well... I could have probably pushed a little harder. Like, how fast could I have been? Yeah. First off, celebrate for a little while. Okay? <laughs> yeah. Especially if you just got a PR, celebrate. Find some people around you that are also celebrating and celebrate the heck out of that. Did yes. you PR by a second? Celebrate it. Did you PR by five minutes? Celebrate it. Yeah. Did you just run really hard? You wanted to quit and you still finished the race? Celebrate that. Yeah. But yeah, at some point that voice is probably going to creep in mm-hmm. and be like, oh, But what about that mile? Yeah. I probably could have pushed a little bit more then. Yeah, because you never really know how well you are prepared until you are in the event. And again, this goes back to that um, spirit of experimentation because you have to just go into a race knowing that you are going to be your best on that day. And your best on that day will change on any given day and you just have to be okay with that and you're just going to go out there and you're going to toe the line and we tell our cross-country kids this all the time like you need to toe the line and you need to give us what you have today like and when you cross the finish line when we ask you was that the best you had and you say yes coach that's all I had today then congratulations the number on the clock is irrelevant right and you know even if I mean, this this just happened. We just had two crushing, ridiculous marathons over the weekend. So mm-hmm. let's mention this. New world record in the women's marathon. Yeah. Sub two hours in the men's marathon. Yeah. He, when you're, you're trying to break two hours in a marathon and you've got 41 pacers and a car shooting lasers in front of you, like he's standing there with a toe on the line and the time matters. Yeah. Like the time does matter. Mm-hmm. Even even at that point, is he saying to himself, I'm as prepared as possible? Yeah. Like, what if I, what about that run that, that I did three weeks ago that I had to cut a kilometer short? Mm, man, is that really going to come back to bite me? You got to go in with as much confidence as you can. Mm-hmm. You know, standing on the starting line, he said, I am a sub two hour marathoner. Yeah. Yeah. He knew in his heart that he was going to do it. Today gives me a chance to prove it, but I am already a sub two hour marathoner. Mm-hmm. And... If he had missed it, and he didn't, I mean, dude, crushed it. He did. But if he had missed it, you know that he would have been like, well, I'm a sub-two-hour marathoner. I guess I'll get it in six months, in a year. I'll get it the next time I do it because I'm a sub-two-hour marathoner. That's the confidence you have to bring to the starting line. 
even though it, the preparation might, might not feel as perfect as it could be, yeah. it's still, that's who you are. You prepared for that. You prepared to be that. You made that statement. This is how fast of a person I am. Now this is my opportunity to show it. Mm-hmm. And maybe it doesn't actually play out on that day, but at least it's a chance. You know, if you're going to try and improve yourself, you need something to improve from. Right. You got to draw a line in the sand and say, well, all right, here's my starting point. Let's go from here. Yeah, because that was not his first attempt at it. You know, no. I mean, the Nike Breaking 2 project a couple of years ago was the first attempt at it. And that was also an artificial situation that was set up to break two. And, you know, that wasn't a quote unquote real race. Like it obviously he, they ran the full race, but the situation and the, um, the circumstances surrounding that were all contrived. They were all just created into this like little bubble that was going to make it happen as quickly as possible. And then he ran the Berlin marathon where he set a world record, but he didn't break two. Like he's run multiple races. This is not his first attempt at breaking two, even though he's been prepared to break two for a few years now. Yeah. I mean, he, he came up so close to the Nike project. He painstakingly it was like, like 20 seconds. It was wasn't like it? 25 or six seconds yeah. off. Like that is brutal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he didn't, he didn't try to go through some contrived project the next year, he then went and ran actual races, yeah. you know, because this thing is not a race. Like as excited as I was to watch him go for the sub two hour attempt one with the time difference, it was ridiculously early. <laughs> and two, it's going to be really boring to watch. Like I could, you can go online and find a recap of it. That is literally the entire two hour video of him doing it. It's essentially going to be like watching a guy run on a treadmill for two hours. Right. Like he's not, he's on streets. There's other people there, but it's the same pace, the exact same pace, steady for two straight hours. That's not that exciting to watch because it's not a race, mm-hmm. but it is really cool to see still. Yeah, for sure. And so, I mean, someone would argue that he ran perfectly that day. Like he did exactly what he needed to do. He followed the laser. He had his people like he had as pretty much of a perfect marathon as you can have. And he achieved his goal. Yes. If you asked him, could you run faster? He'll probably tell you right now. Yeah, I could have done that faster. Right. <laughs> and the, you know, something that I think is going to be very interesting is to see how quickly two hours is now broken again, because it's going to happen again. And it's yes. going to happen in an actual, in a race. you know, marathon in an actual race. It's going to happen. I'm just curious how quickly that's going to happen. I mean, his world record and the second place in the world right now of all time are one second apart from each other. So if you get a race where you put the two of them in the same race on a relatively flat course, I'm going to say that's going to get awfully close to yeah. two. Yeah, I hope I that mean, they... It should crush the world record. That's yeah. the thing. But if you you could go the other way, like these are two of the fastest people, are they just going to push to their absolute physical limits or is it going to become more of a tactical race? Mm-hmm. It's what happens in the Olympics every year. Right. You've got some of the most talent out there. And in the sprints, everyone's just going as fast as they possibly can. But in the long distance races, they tend to get tactical. Mm-hmm. And suddenly you got a guy who's a two hour and 10 minute marathoner and he's in there. He's in contention because the pace slowed down and it's like, ooh, who's going to go? Who's going to put a surge? Who wants to take the lead? There's so much talent that when you put it all together, it actually doesn't end up with the most ridiculous times. Yeah. So it should be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, I agree. So going back to that need for perfectionism and how that can sometimes stall us out, right? I mean, hopefully you've gained how that can hold us back throughout our running life, you know, based on what we've been talking about in this episode, because if you're never out there trying it out and experimenting, then number one, you don't really know if what you're doing is working. And if you're constantly out there and all you're doing is training, 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 then how do you know how you're actually improving if you're not actually testing yourself and racing. And the same thing can be said with our real life. Like if we are just constantly learning and endlessly preparing for things, that can lead to a lot of just stagnation in life. Like because all you're doing is just learning and preparing and then learning more and refining more and you're editing and like when is it actually going to be ready? Like what is the end point? Like if you're really seeking something that is perfection, like there really is no such thing because perfection is simply a perception. 
Ooh, perfection is a perception. That's nice. I mean, if if we're just continually waiting for things to come out perfect, we definitely would not be on episode 110 of this thing. <laughs> because these are not coming out with absolute perfection. That's just not how it is. But we're still putting out knowledge. We're still trying to help people as best as we possibly can. Right. It gets to a point where it's like, well, do I need it to be perfect or do I need to start helping people? Exactly. And it might not be ideal, but hey, here yeah. you go. We went back and we listened to like some of our older episodes and... I was like, listen, we were listening to them because I was trying to like pull some information out of it and see if I could like repurpose and reuse some of it. And uh, I was like, oh, wow, these are these are not good. <laughs> <laughs> so don't go back and listen to the new, the old ones. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but we do have a, a fantastic library of episodes. But again, you know, if we did wait until we felt perfectly prepared for this, this probably wouldn't be out there right now we definitely wouldn't be on episode number 110 but we have learned so much in the process of doing this and just become so much more comfortable with it and the tribe and the people that are our listeners and that just talk about how much this podcast has helped them in their running and in their life like that right there is the proof that thank god we started because we would not have been able to help any of those people had we not done any of this. And that makes all of it worthwhile. Even if it was imperfect, even if it was a little bit sloppy, even if, you know, there were definitely times that I was recording and I had no idea what the heck I was saying and had to stop the recording a bunch of times because I'm fumbling over my words. And, you know, I could have just gotten frustrated and you know, called it quits, but we didn't. And that's allowed us to reach and to help so many people around the world. And that is so special. And, you know, like we always do, thank you guys for listening and for, for spending this time with us because it's, it's, it really does mean a lot to us. But anyway, back to perfectionism. All right. So the other aspect of perfection, besides trying to refine your own craft is waiting for the perfect conditions which is also, I'm going to use our podcast as the example on this one. If we waited for perfect conditions, we'd be on episode three. Um, if we'd be waiting for perfect conditions, uh, I feel like we would have gotten a couple of them out there because oh, we've okay. just been like, all right, we've been doing it for too long. Just, just send it. It's uh, We're done. I'm tired. I'm sick of this episode. We have to just submit it. Yeah, but that, again, wouldn't be perfect then. No, but I'd just be <laughs> sick of it by that point. I, we never would have done episode 100 with the kids waiting for the perfect oh, conditions. Not a chance that episode's happening. You know, we, we did get some positive feedback from people, but that was not an easy episode to record. Holy moly. No, but there's there are never perfect conditions. There's never the perfect time to do something like, oh, I'm, I'm going to wait until that race to run my PR because on that race, then the weather is going to time out nicely and it won't be that windy or whatever it is. And suddenly, you know, because it's weather, you can't actually control that. Yeah. Like there's never actually the most perfect condition to try and time something out. So you just got to actually go out and give it a shot. You're as prepared as you're going to get. The conditions are as good as they're going to get. Go out and give it a shot. Like they say, simply jump and then build your wings on the way down. Jump and build your wings on the way down? That's what I said. That sounds really dangerous. I'm an engineer, trust me. <laughs> I think my perfectionism is coming out that I would like to build my wings ahead of time before I jump. Uh -huh, and try them out with 17 practice jumps? <laughs> now, leap. The wings will fix themselves on the way down. You've got this. <laughs> All right, so that is what we have for you guys today, and I hope that this resonated with a lot of you because I think that in general, runners tend to be a little bit more type A personalities, and type A people um, tend to have that need for perfection or for high achievement or excellence, and, and those are all very good things, but I just we just would like you to take a look and kind of see how those things might be holding you back because in general, yes, we, we want you to strive for excellence. We want you to set high goals. We want you to be your best, but there's a difference between being your best and only being satisfied if you're quote-unquote perfect. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a whole, like, you're in charge of your life, but there are things that you can't control. Perfectionists try and control everything. Mm -hmm. Take charge, but realize that there are still some things outside of your control. So give it the best shot you've got. And along those lines, it's now time for us to announce our real-life runner of the week. Can I drum roll? You want a drum roll? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, sure. That always reminds me of like Christmas vacation. Every time. Every every time. Drum roll. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> so, 
Our runner of the week this week just completed her first full marathon. She says, if you tell me that I'll fail, it drives me to succeed. If you tell me that I'm weak, I'll come out stronger. If you think that I'll crumble, it will carry me through to conquer. I was never made for mediocre. She believed she could, and so she did. Our runner of the week is the amazing Melissa Maccarelli, and we would just like to congratulate you in crushing your first marathon in 355. You are incredible in so many ways, and it's been amazing for us to be a part of your running journey and to just watch how consistent you've been with all of your training runs, with your dedication to this whole process, with your trust in the process and your trust in the journey and your trust in the training. Like that's all the things that you need to really successfully complete a marathon. And you did all of that and you just crushed your goal. And so we are so excited for you and so proud of you. Melissa goes on to say, if you want to learn more about yourself and what you're made of, train for a marathon. It's in the training, the breaking down and building up that teaches you more about yourself and the human spirit than your running abilities. That I can promise you. Some of the things that helped her through this race were some of the words that Kevin actually said to her, which were, just remember, run 10 with your legs, 10 with your mind, and 6 with your heart. So when my legs hurt, I turned to my mind, and when my mind was failing me, I turned to my heart to remember my why. I run for those who can't. I run for those who are not able and in gratitude that I am, plain and simple. So please join us in congratulating Melissa Maccarelli as our runner of the week. You guys can see why she is inspirational to so many and why she deserves to be acknowledged this week. Yeah, I mean, she really just went out there and crushed it. I don't know where those words came up from. I think I stole them from somebody, but apparently they were good and inspiring. Exactly. So way to go, Melissa. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> okay, so finally, we want to end by letting you guys know um, some very exciting news, and that is we now have our wait list open for our new program, the Real Life Runners Training Academy. This program is going to be a game changer. If you have found yourself in an endless cycle of injury or lacking motivation or just having issues with your running, this program is going to help with all of that. So if you want to learn more information and get on our waiting list, you can check out. We have some more information and a video for you over at the website rlrtrainingacademy.com. So head over there today and just sign up so that you can be on our wait list so that you can be the first person notified when we go live um, in November. And as always, thank you so much for spending this time with us today. Whether you're driving in the car, on your run, or just going about your day, we appreciate you and the time that you choose to spend with us, and we do not take that for granted. So this has been the Real Life Runners episode number 110. Now get out there and run your life.